Welcome to the Next Step Podcast with Jay. And Brad. Wait. Wait. I'm Brad. I'm Jay. I'm an All act. Right. All right. Welcome to the Next Step Pod. My name is Brad. I'm Jay. Welcome, welcome. All right. So this is our first episode of the Next Step Pod. And for starters, we just want to give you a little background about what our purpose is and what we're going to talk about. Number one, I think the first thing we want to do is entertain. Yeah. Be entertainful. Definitely. Be, be entertaining. And we're going to talk about three main things. Self-improvement, addiction, specifically with the Addiction Recovery Program. And we're going to talk about LDS Church News. Yes, this is good. So to get started, let's just get to know us a little bit. So I'm going to interview you, Jay. You all right with that? I'm totally okay with that. I got some questions. Where did you grow up? I grew up, um, half of my life was in Whittier, California. Um, and then when I was 10 years old, I moved to Orange County, so Lake Forest specifically. So the OC? The OC, did yeah. I went. I went. Yeah, I, I, I moved, in my mind, the ghetto, even though our house was not in the ghetto. But uh, I just liked, you know, the rappers talk about LA and being ghetto, and so... When I moved to Orange County, I thought, uh, you know, it was a big deal. I was down by the ocean, and, and, and all my friends let, were rich. Let's be clear. So I grew up on the other side of the freeway. and, and By we, the ocean. By the ocean, a little bit closer to the ocean. But we were so haughty that we would call people who lived where Jay grew up, Cuevas. Cuevas. And that was before Jay's turn. You never heard of Cueva. I had to describe that to you, right? No, no, no. Brad's so, a grandpa. And so, yeah, but I mean, when you talk about, uh, when he talks about on the other side of the tracks, we're literally talking about 10, like not even 10 minutes, not even 10 minutes, like literally one light over the freeway, because in Orange County, you have to cross a light to cross the freeway. So if you hear me call Jay Cueva, you'll know you got to go back to episode one. Yes. All right, so did you grow up in the church? Did you join the church? I actually uh, did not grow up in the church. I didn't have any religion in my home growing up, so uh, just believed in being good and doing good unto others, and that was kind of, I guess you could say, my family's religion. Um, didn't bag uh, church or, or religions. I did uh, hear about the Mormons because we went to Lake Powell as a kid um, every summer, Lots and Mormons, a lot yeah. of Mormons drove through a hurricane. Is it a hurricane or hurricane? Well, if you're from there, you say hurricane. Yeah, but I've heard it's my belt hurricane. Okay, hurricane. Yeah, so I never know what to call that town. We, but we had a missionary for, uh, eat dinner at our house from Hurricane two nights ago, and he said it was because of the settlers. That, yeah, really? the settlers that settled it, and I can't remember which country, but it's the accent they have is Hurricane. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I remember driving through there, and I, and I just was like, "Wow, who could live here?" And my grandpa used to say, "Well, the Mormons." <laughs> and so that's how I heard the Mormons, and that was about it. Nothing more than that. Nothing good. Nothing bad. Uh, that was it. Okay. And so, uh, so I was. Uh, I went to different uh, churches with my uh, girlfriends that I would have in high school. And I don't and get in your whole conversion story here because we'll go. Into oh, okay, okay, okay. So, so anyways, when did you join the church? I joined the church when I was eighteen. Basically, I met a guy outside of high school. Joined the church at nineteen. And then got so baptized. Two thousand five. Yeah, went on my mission a year and a half later in two thousand seven. Got called originally to the Philippines, and then I had some medical things, which we'll get into later. And I w ended up in Seattle. So two missions. No. Two missions. So just we'll briefly touch on it. Um, you uh, mentioned you've skipped out a portion of your life where you went away to Utah, ironically, as a youth to a, 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 oh, yeah. a drug yeah, treatment or yeah. alcohol treatment. Yeah. 15 years old. Got handcuffed. Okay. I'll never forget it. Came home from a party early in the morning. My mom was crying, didn't know what her problem was. She coerced me into coming home early because uh, I had some doctor's appointment. I said, I don't have a doctor's appointment. But anyways, I came home because I was 15. And your mom tells you to come home. I finally listened. <laughs> and I came home, and uh, there were two guys waiting to, uh, 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 was it, ascertain me? Obtain me? Obtain me. And handcuffed me, and they threw me in the back of a car and drove me to St. George, Utah, where I got everything taken away from me. It was a wilderness brat camp, which was big yeah. in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. And so it was a rehab slash brat camp. You went there for behavior or for drugs and alcohol. You need both, probably, I'm sure. Yes. Okay. A lot of both. All right, so then, uh, and then on your mission, um, you got, uh, you had some surgery. Yes, and, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the doctor prescribed some pain medication for you? Yes, yes, yes. I was uh, prescribed pre-surgery because um, I was having consistent um, migraines, but they weren't fully migraines. They were just massive headaches, and um, we had done the migraine test, and they weren't legit migraines. I don't still know the difference, but... I just know I had massive headaches that would take me out all day. And he said, hey, before you have the sinus surgery, because they had found, they did a CAT scan. I had cysts that were forming my sinus cavities. If you don't know, your sinus cavities are the size, yeah, the size of like uh, the pencil or, or eraser on the end of a pencil. And I had, the, I had sinus 
um, buildup that were like the size of grapes, like uh, actual cysts that were, had formed in there. So I had to have surgery, and we had that scheduled. But he's like, hey, take this pill if you ever get it. And I didn't even know what it was. He's like, but just take this pre-surgery if you ever had one, and, you know, your headache should go away. Just here you go. And what happened after you took that pill? Uh, so I'll never forget that. Woke up just like I did on my mission early, ready to go, and uh, before my companion would wake up because I want to um, get some extra studying in because I was a convert. So I felt like you I were, had to. You were that convert, eighteen-year-old convert that just ready fired to go. up on the church, fired right? up, ready to go, and like I had felt like I had a lifetime to catch up on because I had I had finished the Book of Mormon actually on my mission in my first area in the Philippines, and uh, so it was a, so studying the New Testament was where I was in Seattle, and um, I uh, I woke up with a massive headache. Um, and I was like, oh, hey, I remember that doctor gave me some pill, right? I'm going to go find that prescription because, I mean, it wasn't a big deal to me. And uh, I normally take Excedrin, and that didn't work that morning. So I went and grabbed that pill. Um, I'll never forget it. I went and sat in my little chair that, you know, we got from, the, from like, a Salvation Army or whatever. It was like a lounge chair. Like, <laughs> I felt so sketchy cool. Sketchy chair. Yeah, very dirty. Very dirty. Uh, the whole apartment was dirty. Um, but we tried. And uh, I sat there to read, and I'll never forget it because it, um, it actually took all my physical pain from head to toe gone. And it, um, it was right when it kicked in, you know, within 30 minutes or whatever. It was like the scriptures came alive. And um, I, I was actually naive enough at the time to think, like, this is a magic. This is like a gift from God because I always had headaches in my life. And, and you, uh, you will get into it throughout multiple podcasts and maybe when you – we open up your first share. Um, it also took away some emotional and yeah. stress that obviously totally. most missionaries deal with. Totally. That, that hardships that you go through that maybe you haven't experienced before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, okay. who really likes their companion? Who likes knocking doors? So, like, all of a sudden, before you know, it's like, hey, this works for that pain, <laughs> too. Companions, I loved you. Yeah. Most well, of you. Yeah. Um, so, fast forward, um, did you serve a full two-year mission? No, I had to. I, I The way they put it to me is I, I used my medical... Allowance daughter, uh, dollars amounts. I had surgery. I had left missions. Think of all that travel, and it was expensive. And um, we couldn't really get my headaches under control after the surgery. A couple complications happened with recovery and um, and getting addicted to painkillers. And so by the time I got off of that, I just felt disconnected. And it was exactly a full year from April to April. And I came home. So and that's that's uh, it can culturally in the church not so cool to say you came home from a mission early right yeah it was tough because i came home and actually had uh two really close friends that were had to come home early for the similar um similar things and for addiction oh, specifically really? a painkiller so wow. i came home and it just so happened that like these two friends who i just met before my mission it seemed like in the singles ward which is a very tight knit single ward it's not like it's not like it is in utah or some other parts of the country like this is a very lively singles ward and very tight knit that I think it seemed to um, maybe um, some of the leaders that it was like, oh, yeah, these guys are all, you know, sketchy or, you know, these guys broken. all. Yeah, they're broken. Bad choices. Yeah, bad choices. Like, we, yeah. we meant to be where we were. Yeah. So. I, I can see that. It was tough. Um, and then we're skipping over a lot of details here, but, um, and I think you get into this in some of your share, but. Totally. You, uh, bat, you know, battled some addiction demons uh, as you got home from your mission. Yeah, yeah. Um, sobered up, cleaned up met your beautiful wife yeah yeah i mean in the singles ward i actually met her when i was disfellowship believe it or not so okay. i had actually had some disciplinary council want to get my stuff together right yep. that'll be a good pod later right totally, let's talk about totally. the, the yeah. church disciplinary council okay. yeah totally yeah so i, I was disfellowship she's the only one that was a close friend that was a girl that still believed in me and thought that i was a good person and had some hope and faith in me which is huge and uh, we'd always been friends um since i had joined the church and uh, finally, we just we just tied the knot, so I got sober and got married in the temple. And so got lots lots of teases here, folks. That a lot of we got a lot of lot of things we're peeling back. I'm like an onion. I'm boring. Jay is full of uh, great <laughs> and exciting stories. So little tease on that. Um, You're stalwart. Fast forward, marriage bliss. Like you got married and happily ever after. Yeah, actually, we were we were dead broke um, when we got married. Just like most people, we yeah. I c- couldn't go right to school because I was a high school dropout pretty much, and. Um, but when we, I sold everything, including every surfboard I had, in order to just pay for the gas for my truck and my <laughs> U-Haul because it was so heavy. We had so much crap, and now we have even more crap. But we drove from California to Utah. It's 10, 10 hours. It was 13 with that weight, and it took the whole entire – I remember counting. It was 500 and 
70 or $40 like that. And it was exact all the money I'd made from the surfboards. So you could tell they weren't that expensive surfboards, but they were a big deal to me because it was all I had. And uh, got there, got pregnant within our second month of being married. Wow. Um, school started for the first time. I hadn't been in a classroom like 12 years at that point, and I was very insecure about my ability to study, but I just knew the prop had said, go get an education. I'm yeah. going to go get an education. And so it was like a whirlwind of challenges right off the bat. Got pregnant. We're barely surviving, you know, $700 a month, you know, for our rent, which was a lot then to us, and uh, right, and um, which is not even my electric bill now. Um, in California, but that's another podcast, and uh, yeah, so it was challenging. It was challenging, uh, and wasn't Peachy King. Fast forward a little bit farther. Um, did you have any any creeping up addictions throughout? Uh, yeah, I mean, you married? When, I did th- that, when, the, when the addiction creep its head back into your. I think right away when I started school, I started okay. at LDS Business College. I couldn't go right to BYU, of course, because I didn't have any academics to do so. But So luckily the church has, as always, always has an answer for someone. And uh, it was to go, the, the next step for me was to go to um, the junior college of the church, and uh, which is you know, not a junior college. Now it's more of a certificate college. It's LDS Business College. It was a great place for me. Um, the classrooms were small. The teachers were were had real experience. Program. It was awesome, yeah, it's man. Great but I went there, and I, uh, even though I was nervous and excited, I was like, I still believed down inside, like I wasn't good enough, and I wasn't gonna be able to keep up with all these kids fresh out of high school. Because, like I said, I got sent to rehab at fifteen, came home, went to continuation barely school, graduated. barely graduated high school with a diploma, and I, I mean, I couldn't read when I went on my mission, barely. So I was very felt very inadequate. So I quickly found. You know, I went on the internet, and I remembered like my friend saying in college they used Adderall, ADD medicine, to help them get them through. And um, for and you didn't take that as a youth. Um, I took it for a little bit, I, because obviously the teachers just wanted me to shut up and, okay. and, and in class. But it, uh, it it used to not, it didn't work. I didn't like the way I felt on it, so my mom got me off it real quick. So I, in my, I went on the line, and I was like, hey, I, maybe I have ADD still. Like you know, maybe that's why I have a hard time. Maybe this, that. So I. It was very easy. You go to, online and look up anything, and yeah. you, got, you got whatever. Yeah, and then I remember asking a kid in class, like one of my, um, I think it was uh, business law class, and he just looked like maybe he was a little more edgy than the typical Mormon kids. So, and I remember even asking, like when I asked blue, the question, he wore a blue shirt to church. Yeah, he wore a blue shirt on Sunday. That was it, man. That was all it took. No, but he was one of those kids that you could tell, like didn't maybe not a perfect, you know, cookie cutter Mormon, um, which either was I. So I remember him even stopping in a study group. Why would you ask me? But I have an answer for you. And he's like, yeah, you just got to go down to the BYU doctor and tell him that, you know, you had ADD as a kid and they'll prescribe you something right away. That was that. So, that was, so boom, I scheduled my, got off the phone, used my BYU insurance, drove down to Provo from Salt Lake, got my first prescription without even taking a test, unfortunately. And then uh, we're going to skip over a big chunk of your life. And when I met you, yeah. you showed up in our ward. A lot of things changed. A lot of things had changed. And, and, I met you, I learned about you, and I learned about the ARP program because you bore your testimony about how the ARP program saved your marriage, saved your life, and that you know that's not a testimony you normally hear from the pulpit about yeah. uh, uh, sharing your dirty laundry and about the repentance process. And Yeah, I think and at that time, atonement. for us, the reason why we did that wasn't like a choice. I think we, we just lost a girl, a young, beautiful young 22 or 23-year-old who died from the addiction, and I was just coming up on my year mark. And uh, it kind of just hit me like if I don't if I don't get this out and start sharing it. Was that right when you moved to our ward? Yeah, it was right when we moved okay. to our ward. Like so, how many did you go to? That's the only time I remember seeing you. Did you go to our ward before Fast Sunday, or was that your first Sunday? There? That was like our second Sunday, our okay. first Sunday, and it was just kind of one of those things that was like I just need to go up there and share this. Do you remember the week before? Because my kids mentioned how big Avery's eyes are. Oh yeah, like, our daughter. Yeah, she's big, big, big old blue eyes. Yeah. And so it just kind of came out naturally. Me and Lexi just looked at each other and was like, we're not going to – we could have just, like, hit it, and we could have just came to the ward and been like, oh, we're perfect. But reality is, like, no one's perfect, and we felt like we had a story to share, and so we just got up there and did it, and it was natural, organic, as they say and nowadays. And probably the fear was, oh, these people are going to judge us, and we're not squeaky clean, but I think just the opposite. I think, I think we had had so much stuff at that point in a short period of time in our marriage of almost getting divorced, and we'll get into that later, but it was just – it was time for us to – to just be open books and let come what may type thing and just trust in God. And like I said, it was it, as corny as that sounds, it was organic. It just came out like it just with everyone we talked to, it just came out. Hey, we just barely got back together. <laughs> well, it was, it was powerful for me. Changed my life that day because that's when uh, we became friends. And that's your it's a good one day. of my close friends. And I really dove in and learned about the ARP program and 
asked a million questions. Asked many questions. So which was let's good. Let's turn that. Start asking me some questions. Mm. I'm not as entertaining as you. My my life's boring, but. Well, yeah, I don't. Uh, you know, where are you from? I grew up right here in uh, Southern Orange County, Laguna Niguel, not in Cueva Land. It's where we both off. live now, by the way. So I'm not a Cueva anymore. Yeah. So I actually live up the street. And I'm, anyway. So, okay, so you lived here your whole life. So you never, never moved. So. Well, I did. I went away to uh, college. I went to BYU. Okay. So that's my first venture out. Well, where'd um, you serve your mission? Or did you go to school first? I went to school first, and okay. then I served a mission in Washington, D.C., North, the greatest mission on the world, in <laughs> that's, the world. That's what everyone says, right? <laughs> Yeah. About their mission. But ours was really it. You're, okay. Uh, and served two years there, eye-opening, you know, super white bread, Orange County. Yeah, big difference, right? Big difference. Washington, D.C. Air Jordans were big. So I remember I had a pair of Air Jordans, and, and they said, don't bring them, because people were getting yeah, shot. <laughs> D.C. was the murder capital of the world. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly there. And so, you know, there was red light streets we couldn't go on, so that, that was quite a culture shock for and me. And for those of you who can't see Brad, he's white. Like, he's not, like, he's not super white, like they're pale people. He's not pale, but he's white. I am a 132nd uh, uh, Cherokee Indian. Okay, that's, so the, that's where he gets his little bit of tan. He gets. <laughs> it's okay. not much, though. It's not much, it's not much. But he, what I'm getting at is you're your Caucasian. Yes, so you had experience there, then what, after your mission, then what? Uh, back to BYU. Didn't think I'd get back in. My grades were uh, mediocre, I think. I, you know, that first year of college was a lot of fun and yeah. very tough, like with a lot of kids. And uh, But I did get back into BYU, and fortunately, and uh, I really banged out school quick, started a business in, in school with a couple of my missionary companions. Yeah. Moved back quickly to to what I call paradise down here in Southern California. And, and just, they killed it. You guys did, killed it. We did all right. You did good. Um, so that, you know... How many, how many, so, so, so you're back here now. Back here. You're actually in the same days. neighborhood. This is kind of cool about yeah. Brad. He actually, so the neighborhood we live in right now is actually the neighborhood you grew up as a kid. Yeah, which wasn't planned initially, but. It's kind of uh, rare though. It's, it's rare and, you know, I love the big yards we're at and just, yeah. it's down to earth. You oh, know. yeah. It's homey. It, it feels homey. So and I, we're five like minutes it. from the beach. Five minutes from Crete. Yes, it's nice. We both like to surf there. Well, yeah. you like strands more, but yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll talk about surfing in this podcast too a lot. Yeah. We might we might even add a daily a weekly surf report. Yeah, yeah. For okay. those of you guys on the coast. Yeah, or whatever, not. Whatever it's coast. Interesting. Yeah. So okay, so that so how many kids you have? Four four kids. Got uh, oldest on a mission in That's right. uh, in Where's Farmington, New Farmington. Mexico. Got a senior in high school and a twelve year old and a nine year old daughter. Twelve year old son and his twelve year old son is named Logan. It's my my five year old son's greatest idol to surf as good as Logan and to be like Logan. He's, he's, a, he's a ripper. <laughs> That's so they're, just, they're best friends and yeah. And let's put it this way: Jay and I's age difference is the same as Logan and 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 my son and Rusty. Son Rusty. So yep. there you go. They'll be best friends. They'll be best friends. It's, okay. it's meant to be. That worked. Okay. Anything else you want to share about about yourself? You curious of why I'm interested in ARP? Yeah, yeah. Why are you interested so much? Because like, okay, so when I started talking to Brad about my your, story, yeah, and I'm like asking a million questions. Yeah, everyone asks questions, right? But Brad's like a type of person, just so you know about him. Like, if he wants to learn a subject, like he just dives into it, and he doesn't, he doesn't hold back. So he asked me like the the technical questions too. Like, well, why is there, why are you only going to one meeting a week? That was, I think, the first question. I was like, why? Yeah, my only experience was movies where they're like, some guy's like, hey, you got to get to a meeting. And he like leaves and goes and sits in a circle. And Yeah. Yeah, you asked me like, what's it like? And I told you the format. And then I think I shared with you that like, I'd only been going to one meeting a week. And I was driving at one point from Whittier when we were living in Whittier with my aunt and uncle because um, we were broke and just preparing our marriage. Um, they were so kind to let us live there. We drive all the way down to San Clemente to this one meeting because it was special. It was a special meeting. And then that was, even that was the, fascinating to me. Yeah, because most people like complain about like, driving ten minutes to the meeting, right. and we had to drive an hour with two screaming babies, drop them off at my mom's house, go to the meeting, come pick them back up, wake them up, then they scream and cry more because <laughs> our babies all of them cry and scream, <laughs> and then drive home. You love your kids, though, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. So I just asked a million questions, and you yeah, know, so I, I think know. everyone, everyone I've ever talked to has had a family member or a friend suffer from addiction. I've lost quite a few friends from high school. Uh, fortunately for me, I was scared to death of drugs and alcohol and and anything that would would I, would bind you with with addiction. I really took those the counsel. Because you were raised in the church. Raised, I was raised in the church, but I saw family and friends that you know got sucked away by the the clouds of addiction and of a variety of things, and it scared me to death, but also intrigued me at the same time. Yeah. And I knew that it wasn't it wasn't just. For some people, it's one hit, one pill, one look at pornography, whatever, and they're gone. And then other people can do it moderation. Yeah. And so it's always it's always fascinating to me. And so you, you were great to 
That was an open book. I was at a point in my recovery where I was like, I'm down to just share. And most people aren't that way, so I I appreciate that. Which we respect. I mean, anonymity is huge in the program, and but like I said, for me, it was it was time to be open. So that's cool, man. That's that's me. So so then he started asking. I mean, just to get background, he started. You got two more minutes, and then we're gonna move on. Okay. Well, just give a little background. So he asked all these questions, and then he couldn't believe that the church, you know, they got multiple stakes, right? You don't just have one stake. You have multiple stakes. You have multiple wards. You have multiple buildings. Uh, Why would we only have one ARP meeting in one location down in the south in Orange County? That's a a good question. And the nearest one was in Newport Beach. Yeah. So it was like kind of like 30 minutes south, 30 minutes north, right? Total away. And then so then we he he dove forward and helped uh, get which we'll talk about later. We you know get a couple other ARPs that are right down the street, one in our stake and another one right across the Michviejo stake in Quebeland. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> the Quebeland. Okay. So that's it. So we're very passionate about the ARP program. So we're going to talk a lot about that here. We're also passionate. I, I I'll speak for myself. Yeah. I love the church. Um, defending it. And I love defending it. And so you're going to hear our perspective of that. I, I was I wanted to start this podcast with Jay and. Uh, most of the other podcasts out there, I find that a uh, high majority of podcasts and and blogs are these disenfranchised people who left the church and they just want to leave kicking and screaming or have one foot in, one foot out, and they're faith destroyers instead of faith builders. Yeah, or they can be really, like, yeah. I mean, I've heard those, and then that was my biggest fear about getting into Mormon podcasts because I have uh, friends that say, oh, you got to listen to this guy or this guy. Then I find out, it's like, oh, well, they're kind of not members, and I'm already shaky enough as it is at times. So it was like, I, I, yeah, like I said, Brad, when he's into a subject, he dives right in, and so like he approached me, and here we are. Cool. So let's go to the next section of this. So we're going to each week talk about uh, commentary and news, specifically church news. So let's take a break real quick and do This Week in News. Do you know this guy named James the Mormon? No, but, well, actually, yes. Have you heard of him? Yes, yes. He's, he has his own podcast. No. Oh, no, wrong guy. Wrong oh, guy. no, 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 no. No, I don't know this guy. He, see, I don't know anything. You heard this before? Sounds like Little Wayne. No. It's motivation. Oh. Number one on iTunes. Man. James, his name's James the Mormon. See, you get you four, think he's you Mormon. Get, you get three kids and you get attached. So his name, his rapper name is James the Mormon. He he goes by James the Mormon. His real name is um, James. Obviously, what's his last name? I don't even know. Sorry, James. James Curran, dude. Tom Curran. Tom Curran. So he's like he's not related to Tom Curran. Where's he from? Provo. He's from uh, Utah. Kidding. I don't know much about him, but my son digs him. And you know what I love about him is he's just straight up. I'm James the Mormon. And he's had number one songs on uh, iTunes in the U.S. Uh, R&B. Nice. Um, and right there, and I like James the Mormon, number one yeah. R&B hit. Um, wow. So I love it. But I'm bringing him up because um, he he wrote a rap response to those people trashing the LDS church. Really? And that's his next this hit. We need to get him on here. Yeah, it'd be great. He's been on quite a few. He's, he's pretty popular. I don't know if we'll get him. But uh, well, I'm he's... I'm pretty good salesman. I'll see that's if I true. Get him. Boom. That's your goal. So... Um, and then he's filming his neck. So he filmed one of his, uh, his, his songs at BYU, um, kind of anti trash people who trash the LDS church, but he's also filming his next video, BYU Idaho, where, uh, my oldest daughter went, oh, my really? wife went and he did want to be Provo. He's filming his next music video. Uh, I think right now up at BYU Idaho. I think that's pretty neat. That's rad. Um, so he's not ashamed of being a Mormon. Definitely basically. not. You got anything? No, I mean, I'm, I just want to, oh, my, yeah, news, I mean, I, I saw one, I mean, there's there's one kind of interesting, because since we do talk about, um, you, know, you, know, our, you know, our main, um, there was an article in the Washington Post, it's called, uh, Prescription Painkillers Are More Widely Used Than Tobacco, New Federal Study Finds. It says more than one in three American adults, 35%, were given painkiller prescriptions by medical providers last year. The total rate of painkillers use is even higher, 38%. When you factor in the number of adults who obtain painkillers more misused via other means um, from friends and relatives and via drug dealers. 
So you, you always wrap off quick stats on painkillers. Yeah, yeah. So the quick stats, I mean, so we know the United States makes up 5 6% of the, of the world's population, right? But 80%. Now, this is a study that's done. I can't remember if it was the drug and tobacco or it was FDA or someone that did this study, but you can look it up. But because you can type this in, just this quote of, of, of the percentages, and you'll find all the, all the backing on it. So this is not my opinion. Just FYI, 80% of the world's opiates, so the actual supply of the world's opiates, painkillers, opium, um, that's found in painkillers is consumed in America. That's not heroin. That's just pills. That's prescription. Prescription. That's legal opium. That's legal heroin. So I'm sure uh, 80 other ARPs are similar to us. You know, we got bishops. We got elders, corn presidents. We have straight up, you know, Peter Priesthoods. On my mission, missionaries, straight up uh, get prescribed, and then next thing, housewife. You know, I mean, we just, yeah. I just, I know someone. She was a housewife, had four or five kids. They were kicking yeah. butt in life, and boom, big, had a big, surgery. Big, big problem. Um, that uh, it's is, the biggest. It's epidemic. I mean, that's kind of why we're. This is one of the passions we have. Is so, is to yeah, bring that up. So now, so. not greater in tobacco, and you know all the, yeah. the efforts towards against tobacco, but not much on on prescription pills. Did you know you want your kids to go to BYU? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's you know it's, it's, why. Well, I mean, if I'm if I'm being a hundred percent honest, I think we're here to be honest. Okay, well, that's right. It's the next step, right? So what I like is uh, a it's uh, we we pay tithings. We know that, right? So members, uh, if you're active in the church, you pay your tithing, and, and if you can have the opportunity to get in, it's not as easy as it used to be. But uh, tuition, tuitions, yeah. tuitions so is a little cheap. bit down. You want to go there because it's cheap. It's cheaper, but the number one reason is too is uh, you know you get to. You get to be in the world, but not of the world. You're not. You're not having all these crazy uh, um, things thrown at them, drugs, alcohol, and things like that. Because everyone's got to sign a contract. Now, is that there? Of course, but it's not there as as much. So, um, when I being from Safe. California, going to Utah to college wasn't like super exciting for me. Okay. Yeah. Um, and because your friends were going off like if, pa- partying in here, yeah. wherever. You yeah. Know? Uh, but. Uh, uh, I, and I loved it when I went there, and I, I fell in love with the mountains and BYU and having prayer in class. But as an adult, um, I had a calling of working within the singles ward. You might have been in the singles ward when I heard the statistics. We were really? reaching at my wife and I reach out to get inactive singles to come back to church. And oh, there you it's go. It's like a, a short-term calling we had. Um, but one of the statistics shared with us that if a person out of high school did not go to a church school, 75 to 80% would be inactive. Holy crap. And that blew my mind. I'm like, wow. And then I went through and I listed every single, I was a young men's president for a long time, been a young men's almost all my career or church callings. And I went through all of them and it was exactly wow. with the statistics. Wow. And and I used to share that with my seminary students. I'm like, you know, 75 to 80% will go inactive if you don't go to a church school statistically. You know, so that means 25% stay good. But yeah, you're not saying everyone, obviously. But, but that really turned on a lot of people like, oh, then I want to get to BYU. Yeah. Um, and so that's, you know, the, the, the influences of the world are very powerful. Um, and as you said, you know. And prophets not, talk about it too. Like, it's a big thing for me. Like, um, Hinkley used to talk about it all the time. Yeah. And frankly, yeah. BYU is a kick butt school. Like, it's obviously, no, yeah. It's, so it's top, top. It's school. competing with the Ivy League, isn't it? Trying to get up to that point oh. in some of the oh. business. Well, we can go yeah. into statistics there. But so I got this news article of the. Uh, I just went to the BYU uh, fireside where they talked about the new entrance exam. Did you even take the ACT? No. Okay. Gosh, no. <laughs> Gosh, if I took the ACT, I would have been done. So do you even know what a good score is? No, I have no idea. So I, I got a twenty-one. Is that good? See, to me, I, what I is got a twenty-one. That sounds horrible. Sounds good. Like twenty-one. Failed. I would not. I probably failed it. Although yeah, twenty-one. It was good enough failed. to get in the BYU when I got in. Wow. The average ACT is twenty-nine point two. The perfect score is thirty-six. Oh, so you actually did really well then. 21. No. No, 21. Oh, you said perfect I, source 36. Perfect okay. source 36. 29.2 is the average. Oh, so you're below average by quite a bit. Well below. Wow. And I'm you seem like a very fo- smart I'm man. I'm below the football team. <laughs> wow. Um, average GPA. Not a jock at all. 3.85, and, and BYU does not use weighted GPAs. Um, See, parents don't and, let your kids surf all day long. <laughs> <laughs> well, the pressures are very high. But I'll give a little quick commercial here. BYU-Idaho. That school is awesome. Um, yeah, I used to make fun of it as well, but my daughter went there. I went and viewed. It's it's like BYU used to be in the '80s. Yeah, where the whole town is the college. That's kind of BYU Hawaii is too. BYU like I went, I, got, I had the opportunity to go there for one semester. Unfortunately, my drug addiction took me out of there. <laughs> but the one semester I had there, with you, not yeah, Laie is definitely like it sounds like Idaho. I mean, everyone's pretty really much going neat. to school. It's yeah, really I love neat. it. I love okay. it. I love it. 
Um, you got any more? Uh, you got um, a news article there? Yeah, I got a news article. I actually sent this to Brad. I was texting him the other night, and I couldn't believe it. I stumbled. Someone on Facebook, some Mormon uh, Facebook friend, uh, posted this as a Salt Lake Tribune. It said, LDS feminist applaud as the church removes troublesome Book of Mormon verses on rape from, and then it says from youth book. So it's like, it's taking out the, the Book of Mormon verses. So at first I read that, I was like, whoa, wait, they're, they're changing the Book of Mormon? Like that kind of like kind of frustrated me. Headline: What what paper? Um, Salt Lake Salt Lake Tribune. Tribune. Is that yeah. one of those? Is that like I? I don't know. What Desert Salt News Tribune? is like the pro De- church, and I think is in the Tribune. We're not Utah yeah. culture, so you're gonna get like if you're from Utah, listen to this. Yeah, just we're outside of that uh, bubble of, of Mormon culture all the time. But I think le- I think this one is like a little edgy. Like they try to probably it's like NPR radio there versus like the uh, once again yeah, it's the not KSL. Talk- yeah it's not KSL right. So, so anyway, so I read this, and you know, Brad's the guy that I send things to when I'm kind of like, what? Because Brad's all about the church, like you say, he likes to defend it. And he didn't even know that I was kind of like, what? Because I'm, I'm a skimmer. Yeah, all you did is send it to me. So I just sent it to him, so I, I barely read it. But then it said... <laughs> and you don't read. I don't read very well, uh, <laughs> just because I think of my insecurities. But I actually can read, and I got straight A's when I went to LDS Business College. But anyways, made the dean's list twice. Good job. Or three semesters until I became a massive drug addict again. But... Um, we'll get into that later. So but they talked verse, about what verse are they talking about? The Book of Mormon passages says right here. It was especially noticeable in an LDS scripture. Moroni nine nine says, "For behold, many of the daughters of the Lamanites have they taken prisoner uh, prisoners, and after depriving them of of that which is most dear and virtuous above all things, which is chastity and virtue." So they were raped. Yeah, so they're raped. It says that these people took that away from them. And so um, it says right here, the Book of Mormon passages uh, was the first LDS verse Mormon girls were required to study under the value of virtue. So what is it? What are they talking about there? Because well, I don't know what the culture is here. So I don't have I, I think what it, obviously sexual purity is very important. I think that's clear when Christ says, you know, the old, the old Testament, the law of Moses was, thou shalt not get adultery. And then mm-hmm. Christ says, yeah, I'll take it one step further. Don't even look at a woman to lust after her, right? Like, okay. so chastity and virtue is high in the Lord's opinion. And, and this scripture talks about, it basically uses the analogy that, like, virtuous, these guys were so bad, they went and raped them. Basically, it just says they raped them. Yeah. And then it, I, to me, I read that as chastity and virtue is, like, Precious. It's so it's so precious, and that's how evil these guys are. It has nothing to do with. So the, why did they get all freaked out? I mean, I, to me, it's just they're telling the story in the Book of Mormon. Like I don't get. Yeah, I. To me, I think it's little oversensitivity. Uh, like I don't know anyone, anyone. Oh, because they're that, saying that they took they're, that. They're thinking first. that like, oh, if you get raped, then you're not virtuous anymore. I don't oh, know anyone that would ever yeah, believe. Now, that. See, that's not even something that came through my mind when I read that. Yeah. I would, the only thing I read was change the Book of Mormon yeah, verse. Read, so. read the comments on there. All the people that are bashing the church on. On stuff, so it's all Jeez. like, yeah. See, the church thinks rape is makes someone that's evil, crazy. Like, because when I read that verse, like I remember reading that on my mission, because that's where I finished the Book of Mormon. I don't remember thinking that at all. They were just telling a story of, of, of people that were wicked. Uh, it's just emphasizing how bad those people are. Yeah, how evil those guys are. That's not the women. No. So, anyways, yeah. but yeah. So this girl, she made a huffy puff about it, and then they took it out of the manual, not the scripture. I think. Yeah, and and you know. I, the manual is a manual, rape, right? Rape is an evil, evil thing, and yeah. and I'm sure the emotions come through that. And so if it if it softens uh, someone who was raped, I mean, if that's what it says, right? We are no longer teaching uh, the young women virtue can be taken by being raped. The writer said that's not uh, the church. The church so, never said that. That's oh, what wow, that writer, writer said. said. Wow. So see how they manipulate that. That's crazy. Yeah, so they made it sound like the church said, we're no longer teaching that to what the writer of the article yeah, said. Yeah, they're talking about the change of matches of LDS church policy. That's crazy how these papers have such an influence on people. Oh, like, if you just read that, like I did, I'm a yeah, skimmer, yeah. you go, oh, man, church it is changing. And then when you hear that crap, people say that that's their excuse for leaving, you go, well, yeah, I remember reading articles. So you start to believe, you know. You, yeah, you can find an article, you can find whatever you want to take you wherever you want. Yeah. And it's crazy it. nowadays because with Facebook and Instagram and these things get just posted left totally. and it's just in your face. Out of context. Yeah, where I would have never read the Salt Lake Tribune without Facebook, ever. Period. All right, so we're done with news. Let's, uh, we had an awesome uh, 12-step meeting today and our, what step did we work on? We did step one, which so, is honesty. So let's listen to your share. We record Jay's opening share. Audio is not going to be as clear as this. We're going to get it better. But uh, we are going to play that right now. Bear with us, folks. Jay, I'm an addict. 
Grateful to be here. Um, step one, just went over this actually with a friend that I've had for about a year now. And uh, we're talking about some of his actions and um, things that that he may think at this moment. It's, it's just crazy. When I read the, Every time I read this step, or any step, I'm like, it applies to so many things in my life, let alone my life, other people's lives. And um, the words are right there um, in front of us. And there's one part in the fourth paragraph where it says, uh, at this point, we took the first step towards freedom and recovery by finding the courage to admit that we were not just dealing with a problem or a bad habit. I mean, if you're anything like me, my justification towards my drug use and a lot of other behavior was all like, it's just a, it's just a habit I just got to kick, right? And there's tons of help, self-help books out there that tell us how to, you know, kick bad habits and how to create new ones. And, you know, if I just stop doing it for 30 days, then I'll create some new habit, you know? And, and, and if I just do that, right? I just was listening to a podcast today, a side note, and they were talking about, yeah, it just takes 30 days, you know? 30 days. Like, you just got to sustain for 30 days and then create some new habit, and then you're, you're good to go. That's what the world teaches, right? And that may be true with a lot of things, right? But when you try to overcome an opiate addiction, you know, good luck. Like, you know, like if, if you think you're just going to not use for 30 days, go surfing for 30 days or go to the gym and you're just going to be in the clear, like, that's just not going to happen. It's just not how it works. I've tried that. Many other people who are not living anymore have tried that. It doesn't work. Um, same thing with sex addiction, porn addiction, gambling, any of this stuff. Like, you know, and I, I've had times in my life where I sustained for a long period of time where I was able to just say no or create some new habit in my life or even with the gospel, that's, a, that's, a, that's what's a trip is you can even get really focused into the gospel, right? And, and I'm just going to go serve and I'm going to be the best father and all these things. Those are all great elements. But if you don't dig down into the root of why you're using this, what I'm telling my friend today, by the way, that made sense. But I was, you know, if, you don't, if he doesn't get to the root, of why he, you know, is going against God because he's a member of the church, you know, and going against the things he's been taught since his youth, then he'll always find himself back there. And if it's not with this current addiction in his life or this current decision or sin, whatever you want to call it, um, that's, that's, uh, that's a stumbling block in his progression, he'll just find another one. That's how I was. I just went from another one until I found opiates. And, like, uh, opiates, you know, almost killed me. And they'll kill me again if I, if I were to start using again. And, He's like, well, I've never met someone that has as much self-control as you, blah, blah. I'm like, you know me now. Like, that's four years into my recovery. Like, four years ago, like, I couldn't, I couldn't focus on anything. You know what I mean? Like, I was just, the minute, my, the minute I had a desire, like, in my mind to do something, I was going to do it. There was no frontal lobe coming in and saying, whoa, let's take a break here and let's see if we should do this or not. What are the consequences? And I... Uh, and so I was trying to explain that to him. He's like, well, yeah, but I don't even have the desire. And it's like, it says right here, even if you have a small desire, like that's enough, right? They're like, so when I was reading this, when we were reading this as a group, I'm just thinking of my conversation I just had with him today, three different times throughout the day. And, you know, he admitted to finally go to a meeting and maybe that's what he needs and started talking to his wife. And of course his wife, you know, maybe not knows the fullness of his life right now and his situation, you know, some of the things he's been doing is like, well, why would you need to do that? You don't need to go be with those people, right? Because the stigma is, right? And these rooms is full of people that are just like right from the gutter, right? I mean, that's what I thought. I was like, no way. Like four years ago when Lexi left me and we were married and pregnant with our second kid and my friend's like, hey, you want to come to a meeting? I'm like, whoa, I'm not like you, right? And this is my wife had just left me and wanted a divorce for the same exact drug use that my friend was who was taking me to a meeting that invited me to take, and I was still judging him, you know what I mean? And then I come to these meetings and I realize like, wow, this is like, I finally feel like I'm not crazy. Like, I feel like there's people out there that are just like me that have a million great traits and have a few things that have been stumbling blocks throughout their life, you know? It's like this big. Like, I really feel that way about all of us and, and the you know, thousands of people I've met so far. In addiction, it's like our little things are like this big and like our talents are this big. But like, there's these few little things that, whether they're like an incident, whether it's one incident, it's that it's that way with some people. Sometimes it's just one thing that's happened in their life that they just can't let go, or like they haven't seen yet. It hasn't been revealed to them. And some of it's a bunch of little things. And but this program, honesty, is what I'm getting at. Like getting to that point, I was telling him, if you just do this first step, and if you go to a meeting, you may get to a point where you may tell your wife everything. You may want to go to the bishop. You may want to like. You may want to live a life different than the way you're living it now. You may not want that now, but if you start the process, it will lead to that. When I first went to that meeting, I was not planning on getting sober. I was not planning on 
ever telling the truth, right? Because like, who, who's gonna like really love me if I told the truth, right? If everyone knew exactly what I had been doing or knew my mind and how crazy it can be. One minute I want to do really good things, the next minute I don't. Like, you know, that was scary to come here and be honest and share that with people that you don't know, let alone people you love, like your wife, your bishop, like, but that process took place and, and I just had to walk into this room and um, it didn't happen my first meeting. I sure as heck didn't sit down and say, hey, I'm an addict, I'm ready to just surrender. No, but I kept coming back like I've shared a hundred times. Like I just kept going back weekly and I started to realize that, um, that I belonged, if that makes sense. Like I'd earned my seat. They, they say that in AA, like I earned being in those rooms and um, it was a good thing. And now obviously you guys know it's like I have zero pride when it comes to like sharing. Like I, I have no anonymity, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Is like I love sharing this with other people because it's changed my life. It changed who I was, who I am today. And hopefully in four more years, it'll change me even better, you know, or for the whatever. I just want to keep changing. I want to keep growing. And this program, whatever brought you here, whether it's an invite from a family member, friend, a loved one, or you just felt prompted to come, or your bishop, we all, I think everyone in here already knows that, you know, we've earned our seat here, and there's a lot of good that can be in these rooms, and um, there's so many more people that need to be here. But if we don't, one thing I have learned before I pass it on, is if, if you don't do these steps for yourself, you'll never be able to fully, it says in here, you know, you, you'll never be able to serve someone else, like, fully. Like, if you still have those little things that you're holding on to, I've tried to help other people, like, when I first started, and I didn't do the some of the steps. I only did a few of the first ones, and then I would try to sponsor someone. You, you can't. Like, I mean, you can start the process, but what happens when they get to where you're at? How can you give them any more guidance? You're, you're, you know what I'm saying? And so it's so important that we do these steps all the way through. Um, God has so much to reveal to us, and um, I'm just grateful this program still works in my life today. And even though, like, I, it wasn't, I don't, like, have that same desire to use drugs anymore. Like, there's still other things, and, you know, for the first time, admit I went to the bishop and like I haven't met with a bishop in probably seven years you know and I went through this whole recovery process with just a sponsor and that was my choice to do it that way and but like I said this program still continues to work in my life you know and I felt prompted after last Tuesday night's meeting to just to, to do it all you know and what a great experience that was it wasn't great when I was in the moment but um, I guarantee I wouldn't have been having that conversation with my friend co-worker slash co-worker today giving him the advice I did by the spirit if I didn't just do that last week, you know. So um, we're all in this together. It doesn't matter where you're at. So I'm grateful that you guys are here, and I know this program will save your life, and it'll save, it'll help you save other people's lives. And it's pretty amazing to watch people come in hopeless, like I was, and uh, like many of you guys were when you come in, and watch it all change and be full of hope and happiness. That's what it's all about, and I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Right, Jay, this is our last closing section where it's Ask the Addict. I that think is me. Uh, you can ask me anything. Um, we're going to add your great open book, and we're going to invite guests in here that are open. They may be anonymous, so they'll change their names. Yeah, yeah. But Eventually, uh, I'll get a boring for people to listen to. Yeah, you, we'll get you for a few weeks, but we'll, we have a... We know a lot of people um, well, we that can are have, willing to like share their story to help yeah. people. Yeah, but, and they're not, not willing to maybe share outside this room, but they're willing to share it on a podcast on an anonymous, anonymous basis. So... Yeah. When, when did you know, when was the first time you kind of considered maybe you were a, an addict versus, uh, like I was a just, user. I was just a user. Yeah. Like recreation, like I'm having fun to where maybe this is a problem. Yeah. I used to, used to always say I had a, a, a quantity problem, not a quality problem. Like meaning like if I could just get my dosage, cause at this time when I, when my life, my wife left me four years ago and I came to my first meeting, I was consuming about over a thousand pills, prescription drugs. 
a month legally. And, and these are legally. These legally. are a doctor giving them to BYU like, doctor. Yeah. Uh, some of them, and then some were from you know pain specialists or whatever anxiety you know psychiatrists and whatnot. Um, and, and we all know by the ruse of legal uh, medical marijuana how easy it is to get prescriptions. Yeah, and I, I tried that. I tried that, but luckily, look, yeah, my thing were pills, and and so I didn't. I didn't think when I first came to the meetings, even though my whole life had fallen apart. You, you still didn't think you were an addict. I didn't think I was an addict. I mean, not for weeks. Okay. I mean, the two friends who hopefully will be able to interview that brought me to my first meeting were awesome guys, and one of them has been sober as long as I have, longer than me. He brought me to my first meeting. Um, he's a close friend of mine, and. Uh, I had an argue with him on the way, and his sponsor had 14 well, years so, sober. So I got a question. But when you went to this wilderness brat camp as a teenager, yeah. that was because you were alcohol, right? Once again, behavior. I thought it was behavior. But you didn't think – but yeah, you came I, back not drinking, right? Well, I, No, I came back not using drugs. So I came okay. back from that meeting – or from that program. It was four months long. It was supposed to be five, but I completed it and manipulated to get my mom to get me home early. But, yeah, so I came home, and I was like, oh, well, I, well there's a couple things I learned. A, I need to be more respectful to my mom. I need to get my craft together enough to get, like, a job in life, right, if I'm going to not go to school or college, but I need to get a job and then finish high school. And then the other thing was I'm not going to smoke weed or do drugs anymore because okay. I was like, I realized that I was a new person. For four months, I had, I had smoked weed every day since, like, 11 years old at that point. So short period of time, only four years. But four years of formative years. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I became this like lively person. Like I had energy. I was exciting. I was happy. Uh, even though my circumstances sucked. So I was in did, they, did they talk addiction back then? Uh, we did. I don't really remember much. Okay. I mean, they didn't get in detail with the 12 steps. They were okay. Mormon based. So it was religious based a little bit. We had to read to higher power. Didn't think I was an act. Just knew okay. I came home. So I not until like four years ago. Four years ago. It's probably three meeting. or four meetings or maybe three months into the program going weekly. Okay. So. If you haven't been to an ARP meeting, go. Like, they're awesome. And changed my life. But I would say, if you are going and you're on an attic, just introduce yourself as your first name only. You yeah, don't, it's okay. Please don't say anything. I like, just said Jay. I'm you're going to be tempted to share. Don't. That's my advice to... I was scared to death going to the first ARP meeting. Like, oh, if I was you're like, not an addict? Yeah. Oh, if you're I'm not I'm like, Jay, what do I say? What yeah. do I do? And you were very great. You're like, just say your name is Brad and be quiet and enjoy. And just and join listen. and listen. Yeah, yeah. And, and, if, and if you feel like sharing and it's appropriate at the time, that's one thing. But what happens, I think the reason why you said that, for those of you who are listening... Is because sometimes uh, non addicts um, can be, they don't mean to be unsensitive. They It's like, oh, like, we're, I'm it's, so happy that you guys found a place for you. Yeah, it's so that, powerful. It's such a powerful meaning. You want the spirit so share, strong. Yeah. And, yeah. and people are new in recovery, and everyone who's an addict will understand what I mean when I say new in recovery. They're very sensitive. I was very sensitive. I was very, I was on edge. I lost everything, right? And so I was sleeping on my mom's couch. Anything is, that comes across as condescending is an excuse to is an excuse to bounce. It's like I was looking for an excuse to go see. This is why I don't belong yeah. because people judge me, and no so, one did. That was a cool thing. But, but everyone's welcome to come to ARP meeting. Everyone. But I would just say cautious if you're coming. When they do introductions, introduce your first name only, and then you if can just sit quiet yeah. the rest of the time. But but those that are there, everyone, you know, not everyone, but a lot of people are like I'm an addict. I'm an addict, and I'm an addict. And that gets discussed a lot. Why is that important yeah. for you to say I'm an addict when you introduce your name or an yeah. addict in recovery? Yeah. In the beginning, I didn't get it. I was like, well, why are people like saying this? Like, even if they got a bunch of sober time, like three, four years or 10 years, you 20 years, of 20 years. And I'm like, why would you guys say that? That just like to me is you're not that anymore. Right. The atonement says once you're not that you're not that anymore. And I didn't get it. But what it gets what it means to me now, because now I identify as an actor and I'm proud, right? I tell it to everyone, every friend, every client I have in my business that I work in. I tell everyone, anyone on the street. And what it means to me is when I say that, it's like a form of L, uh, A, uh, basically saying out loud for my subconscious to hear that, like, hey, man, if you use drugs or alcohol or any other mind-altering substance, you'll be right back where you came from. So it's me putting myself in check and self-identifying. But then also B, it helps other people identify with who I am. Because what I mean by that is when they shared their addict and then shared their story, I identified to their story. And then I remembered them calling themselves an addict. I'm like, this person's a good, great person, just had bad choices like I did, fell into it, got addicted to certain things. But they're like totally changed their life. That's huge for someone coming there thinking there's no hope. So I know. So two reasons. One, it helps you humble yourself. Honesty, and right? Where, First honesty. step, yeah. And number two, it helps other people that may be at a different phase. To identify. It's all about identifying. Okay. That's to good. the group, yeah. Um, and, and I'll tell you, when I first was coming to the meetings, you know, as a, as a non-addict and, and I, yeah, I was he, a little jealous. Did I, did I tell you that before? Yeah. I'm like, man, I kind of wish I, cause like the, I'd never want to have to go through it, but the things that you have learned are, are so powerful. Like you understand the atonement 
a hundred times better than I do. It's, I, it kind of reminds me, that. like when you said that, I remember uh, when I first joined the church and all the stories I had of what brought me to the church and like having a testimony with a lot of spiritual, powerful experiences. And uh, I remember people used to say, oh, I wish that's young singles. Just, yeah. I used to, I, was, I wish I was a convert. I'm like, you have convert. no idea like how hard yeah, it is yeah. to like, for me to program myself to get on my knees and pray because like my whole life, that's just not what we did. So for me, I'm like, yeah, right yeah. to you, but it, I love it. it's perspective. Same kind of thing. Yeah. Perspective. Uh, that's a good one. Good analogy. Yeah. Um, if let's let me ask you this question. So your wife was dealing with you as an addict. Yeah. Um, not easy. When did, I'm when, not easy when, when did, sober. She, did was um, she telling you you were an addict before you were willing to admit it? Did she realize you were an addict? I think... Uh, or did she think it was a quantity well, problem? Well, she knew that I always dibbled and dabbled in pills. Like, I mean, when we first got married, um, you know, I'd have... I had a TMJ, right? Like, I had clenched my jaw at night, and I saw a doctor legitly. It wasn't like I was seeking drugs. I just had a problem. I woke up with this jaw yeah. problem all in nowhere. They gave us muscle relaxers, right? And so, rather being the addict, not knowing I'm an addict, they gave me the thing called Flexerol, which I didn't know anything about, but it just didn't really do anything. But it did something in the beginning, but not enough. So I went online like any other addict, right? And I'm like, well, what's, what's a stronger muscle relaxer that I can get? And rather than asking my doctor, I went looking for it. And I actually had a relative send it to me. Um, get it elite, uh, get, get these muscle relaxers that were called Somas. And anyways, yeah, those things rocked me. And I got addicted to those right away. So my wife started to see the behavior because I started abusing them I was, right away, like, was I started sl- taking so much I started slurring at do you night. Think, do you think like uh, so, so she recognized church, church culture, right? We got the word of wisdom that says no drinking alcohol. Yes, that's why I wouldn't no. drink. And so drinking, but prescriptions. Yeah, are that's it, what justified. My wife would be like, "Well, why are you to... taking this?" I'd be like, "Well, babe, I can't drink to like yeah. relax. Like I have this clenching in my jaw. I have these headaches. Like this is like I have a prescription. This doctor, who a TMJ doctor, like so, told so me to take So would you them. say, is it if you're drinking out? Al- if you're a member of the church? And you have a testament of the church, and you're drinking alcohol regularly, mm-hmm. and not be able to stop. That's probably you're an addict, right? Yeah, yeah, because okay. you know yeah. that's a, a line. I'm crossing the line. Smoking cigarettes. Um, I think if you have any, yeah, substance. But, but yeah. the hard part is that am I abusing? Am I because you can go to a doctor and complain of pain yeah. and they prescribe that's you? Where, that's where you we're in be a real unique, We're in a unique challenge as members. I mean, as the whole world, but as members specifically, because we have this health code, the word of wisdom that tells you certain things not to do and things to to do, like eating, you know, fresh vegetables and fruits in their season and things like that. But they they t- they clearly outline do not do certain things and or, then and illegal drugs and, and they say illegal drugs illegal, illegal specifically. Drugs. That's how I heard it when I was a convert. Like when I joined, it was I went to general conference. They talked about illegal drugs. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when I got that prescription, it was very easy for me to. Not even just um, to justify because, like, once again, I didn't think I had a problem. I really didn't deep down inside. I just at the time was like, well, God, these are doctors. These are member doctors. Right. Most of my doctors were and, members. And, and I, I think was in Utah. Had, and I've heard it too. Like, God helped doctors invent medicine. Exactly. Like, it uses our pains. Like, exactly. when I take, uh, I got a headache. Revelation. And I take Excedrin, or if I've had surgery and I've had pain. It's modern pulmosis. revelation. It's it's yeah. uh, it's it's the human. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's us evolving as humans. We now have medicine to treat our illnesses or emotional illnesses. Right, those are challenged. I think for a lot of members, including my, yeah, some uh, close friends and family, and yeah. Anyway, so it was so, a challenge. So, so did your wife use addiction? Did she say you're an addict? Mm. Did you remember her saying that? She just said, I don't want you to take them. Like, she was okay. just frustrated I was taking them in general. Okay. Um, okay. Found them and, and realized how much I was taking them. Of course, I just shunned her off. Because like, we think of an addict as uh, yeah. illegal drugs. Yeah, or, and I was going to BYU. Or, and I, or not functioning, right? I was, or, I was fu- highly functional. Yeah. I was a straight-A student. I was taking 20-something credits, like a lot of credits, working full-time, had a new baby coming. I was, like, most responsible I'd been in my whole life, probably. So yeah, when it all started. So that that that's where one which step is honesty. Is honesty is number one. What the first thing is just being honest. So just being honest that you you know something in your life you can't you know is is making your life to be unmanageable. Like so some type of foreign substance, any type of substance you're taking that's mind altering or an action, right? Yeah, pull out the book. Real so quick. I I take notes during our meetings um, for myself personally, but on step one specifically, I've listed. Just coming through our doors of, of our meetings of the the addictions that, that people have shared here. And it is on this page. So I'm just going to go through and you can probably add to it. So yeah. alcohol, drugs, pills, weed, porn, sex, nicotine, cigarettes, e-cigarettes, caffeine, anger, swearing, overeating, under undereating, anorexia, bulimia, eating poorly, sugar, self-harm, video gaming, 
um, social media, codependency, um, lying, stealing, cheating, shopping, power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Gam- gambling, gambling, anger. I figured you already um, said anger, but so all so the- yeah, it's anything that causes your life basically to become unmanageable. Where you do, you have the there's a there's a quote in 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 verse one in in the first step where it talks about um, the the summary of addiction. I can't remember who gave it. It was one of the prophets, but basically it says, yeah, right here. It's, so this is Elder Russell M. Nielsen, the Quorum of Twelve Apostles. He said back... Dude, I, love, I love Jay, Convert Jay. Elder M. Nielsen. Elder Nielsen. So, dude, I love it. So you don't say hurricane. I want you to say hurricane. 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 I want you to say Towili or whatever you say. the case <laughs> Anyways, October of 90, or 1988, okay, he said this. He said, addiction surrenders later freedom to choose through chemical means... Or you can then take the chemical means and you could say action, right? Like you're doing an action like gambling or stealing or whatever. It's a pornography. It says one can literally become disconnected from his or or her own will. When I first heard that, I was like, whoa, maybe I am an addict. Because I no longer, I want to stop using drugs. My whole life's falling apart. My wife hates me. I got kicked out of BYU. I didn't get kicked out. I just couldn't go back because I failed. And uh, everything was falling apart, but I couldn't stop using. Every morning I'd wake up and it was just like, so, so that's the right there, being honest. If you got something that you can't stop doing ah. and that is affecting your life, you may have an addiction. Yeah, it's just right. about getting honest. I mean, that's the first step. You don't got to worry. I think too many, just real quick, and we'll go on to the next subject, but I think so much in the beginning, people are so scared to... Uh, they're going to have to do all these things they see in movies. Like, they're going to have to get honest. They're going to have to do, like, all these... You have to go confront people, and you're going to have to change your life. Just worry about the beginning. It's just being honest. Yeah, so, like, if you're... Starting to like, it's probably, was were you scared? Yeah. To, like to admit you're an addict, right? Because yeah. we've all heard, like, we've seen those things where you get to step four or five and you got to go confess to all Yeah, the I think my first meeting I went to was a step four meeting. Like, yeah. they were on step four and they're talking about making an inventory. I'm like, ha ha. Like, right. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah so, I, so if you're, if you're that person, it's like, maybe I've got an addiction. I don't know. Like, don't worry about being the facilitator uh, overnight. All you're doing is right here. Step one is what you're yeah, saying is. Be where you're at, where you're at, and you know, just be in the moment. You Skateboard know? analogy: you're gonna ollie a one-step curb. That's right. Before you ollie a five-stepper, and you get on a longboard for a shortboard. Another mistake Aqueba made when I was a kid is I, I wanted to be like all the cool kids. This like is a Brad. surfing analogy. Surfing analogy, yeah. So for those of you on the coastlines, you'll know what we're talking about. But I wanted to be like you know the cool kids on this side of the tracks, <laughs> you know, non-Quebas, and they were all shortboarding, right? So, but and so I wanted to do that, and it took me forever to learn until I went to a longboard. I got a lot really good, and then now I shortboard. Baby steps. Baby steps. So step one. So the answer is always the next step, first of all. But you got to start somewhere hey, on that that's step. The name of our podcast. That is the name of our podcast. So the first one is Honesty, Step 1. And uh, let's end it there. So Honesty, Step 1, until the next step. My name is Brad. And I am Jay. I'm Matt. And you're covering. from thee.
Life's 